You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Justin Berger, the author of The Empire Strikes Back, Unauthorized Timeline, 1975 to 2020. Tell me about yourself, sir, and tell me how you came to write this book. I mean, I've always loved Star Wars since I was a kid. But, you know, as you grow older, you kind of move away from things. And Star Wars was always a part of my life. Like, it was always in the background in my mind. And, you know, I would see things come out, like the Timothy Zahn novels came out in the 90s. And, you know, I wasn't really huge into Star Wars, but I still had to have them and uh, read them and loved them, you know, as things progressed. You know, I'd see Star Wars pop up here and there, little things where I would see an action figure at the store and be like, oh, that's cool. And I'd pick that up and just put it in storage or something. I don't know. So that was my Star Wars experience through life. And then I was, you know, a musician and playing in bands and stuff, did the whole thing, you know, working jobs here and there, doing all kinds of stuff. And then eventually I got into doing a lot of promo stuff. I moved down to LA because I was working with a guy who was doing a movie and uh, he had written a script and he had was shooting this film. It was an independent film. And I had always been into movies. I had always been, you know, I'm had my parents' video camera when I was a kid and I'm the one who used it all the time and was editing my own music videos and movies and stuff. So I was always into music and movies and all that. So I was down in LA 2006 and then I got, you know, doing a lot of promo stuff, a lot of web stuff, doing MySpace pages for people because this was when MySpace was, was a big deal. I ended up working with an artist out of the San Francisco Bay Area. His name is Lyrics Born and he's a Bay Area hip hop artist. I ended up doing a MySpace page for him and his manager hit me up and was like, hey, uh, we might be interested in having you run his official MySpace page. And that's kind of launched me into that thing where I was back into music, but I was more behind the scenes. And then I ended up down the road becoming his manager. And, and, you know, I did, I was in the indie music scene for, you know, like 15 years as time progressed, you know, Star Wars obviously still on my radar the sequels were going to come out. And so around that time, you know, I started getting this buzz again. I was like, Oh, Star Wars is coming. And, you know, they're going to use the original actors and everything. So it was really exciting at the time. And um, I remember I was with my, she was my girlfriend then, and she's my wife now. We were living together in, in this apartment, and I was in San Francisco Bay Area. And I, I remember very vividly, and I was just like, I want some Star Wars curtains. I was just like, for some reason, I just had this urge that I needed these Star Wars curtains. So I went on eBay, I found some Star Wars curtains. And then that led into like, you know what? Maybe I need a Millennium Falcon. <laughs> and I went and found like a vintage you know, Millennium Falcon, and it was in the box and everything. And this was when prices were a lot, you know, less crazy than they are now. That all of a sudden sparked this huge resurgence of Star Wars, especially vintage Star Wars for me. And I started buying mint on card figures and ephemera and all this. I mean, I just now I have a huge collection, but it was weird how it had been like just a little tiny part of my life. And then boom, all of a sudden it was like, just, it was huge. And then everything came out and then 
what led me to the book was a couple of years after that. I am getting there. And um, what led me to that point was I would joined all these Facebook groups and, you know, seeing all these people posting all this behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, you, because there's, I mean, there's people obviously more nerdy than you or I on the internet and um, God bless them. I would see this stuff posted and these guys would just be like, oh yeah, this was taken at this on this date and by this person and, you know, X, Y, and Z. And they would have all this information of what happened behind the scenes. And it was so specific. And I kept seeing this stuff pop up again and again. And then I kind of started keeping track of it and I started saving all the pictures and I would keep little notes to myself and, and it started building. And I, I said, well, I've never seen anybody do like a timeline to just kind of showcase you know, from, from the early conception. And I mean, there's Rinsler's book and all that, which has a lot of information, which I actually took for my book, like the dates and whatnot, but you know, his, his is, it's kind of a timeline, but it's more of a behind the scenes, kind of a general thing. But I wanted to just, I had the idea. I was like, what if I just created a timeline where it's just, it's really simple. You know, it's just, here's all the dates in order as they happened, throw in some pictures, throw in, you know, like I have some call sheets and whatnot, and it just kind of, the idea just popped in my head and I was like, well, nobody's really done that. Like I'm thinking of doing it. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. You know what I mean? So I just started collecting all these dates and I did all this research and I was looking at like old Starlog magazines and all the old newsletters from the fan club and interviews with people. And, you know, as picking people's brains, I reached out to a couple people like Craig Miller, who used to be the, he used to be the fan relations guy for Lucasfilm back in the eighties. And these were all on Facebook. Cause these guys are on Facebook now and, and, you know, they're retired, but they're like, Oh yeah, I'll talk about Star Wars. But I would ask some of these guys questions. And some, most of them were like, ah, I don't remember when that was <laughs> just like, that was so long ago. Like I could give you a general idea, but I don't have specific dates. And there are a couple of people that had specific dates and all that stuff, but a lot of it was just research and just looking, you know, old interviews and, you know, other books and just accumulating like all of these dates. And the more I got, the more robust it became, where it just became like this massive list. And I was just like, okay, this is cool. And that's when I started putting it together in a book format. And by the time, you know, I'd finished, I had like almost 300 pages and I was like, wow. Okay. So that's when I really kind of started hunkering down and be like, okay, I'm going to do this as a book. You know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to self-publish it. You know, it's going to be unofficial because I, I have no desire to try to go through the Disney channels. And I did some research on, you know, like if you do an unauthorized book, you know, what does that require? And what does that mean? And I mean, essentially it's just like, if they don't send you a cease and desist, you're fine, which I never, which I never got. And I, and I wouldn't expect to, because my book is so small. I mean, I have not sold that many copies or anything. It was more a labor of love and I wasn't trying to make a ton of money off it or anything. And I didn't expect Lucasfilm to come knocking on my door. Like, well, what are you doing? And it's like, you know, it was just a labor of love thing. I just printed it through Amazon and I just thought whoever wants this, you know, just buy it. You know, I think you'll enjoy it. And, it, you know, and if, if some, if nobody wants to buy it, then I guess I just did it for myself really. And, you know, I had quite a few people in terms of, I mean, I guess like I had like maybe 50 pre-orders when I did the first volume and I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, there was some people who were like, oh, this sounds awesome. Yeah. And it was exciting to have other fans who were interested in what I was doing. But, you know, again, it was never like, oh, I'm going to make a ton of money off this. And I never wanted to, and I never expected to. And obviously I didn't, but I just left it as unauthorized. And I gave credit to, you know, there's photos in the book and I, I have, everybody has credits for, you know, Lucasfilm or 
people magazine or whoever owns the photo, you know, I just tried to do that as much as possible as like, Hey, this is this person's photo, or this is the information is from this person. I probably could have done a little better on my uh, citations. Cause I didn't really put a ton of like, this is where all every single little tidbit of information came from. It was more of a general, like, well, I use Starlog magazine. I use Starburst mag, you know what I mean? Like I probably should have been a little more meticulous with my citations, but I wasn't because I've had people ask me like, well, where'd you get that date? And I'm like, oh crap, where did I get that date? And I have to go back and like retrace my steps and find it and be like, oh, it was right here. So uh, that was, if I learned anything, it was like next time, if I do a book like that again, citate, you know, citate everything. But um, that's really a short version where I came from and how I got to write this book. And like I said, it was a labor of love. I love the empire strikes back. It's my favorite movie of all time. I've loved it since I was a kid. It's been my favorite star Wars ever since. That's why I did empire strikes back. People were like, well, are you going to do star Wars or return of the Jedi? And I'm just like, you know, I'm not really that interested in it. Like maybe, but I just, it was, it took me a little over a year to compile everything for the book and, you know, write it and do everything I did. And, and then I, I enjoyed it because I love that movie so much. And I think about doing it for, and I love star Wars and I love return of the Jedi. Don't get me wrong, but to do that all over again for those movies, I'm just kind of like, I just don't know if if I could, if my heart's in it, you know, like it was for empire. So I I think it might just be a one-off thing where it's just like this cool thing I did. And it's just whatever, you know, it's still on Amazon if you want to buy it. So it'll probably always, I'll probably die and that book will still be on Amazon, which is kind of cool. So that's my legacy in Star Wars is I wrote a book and, you know, if somebody wants to read it, great. And if not, no biggie, but that, that kind of, like I said, sums up how we got here and why people are listening to me on your podcast. Well, why Empire? When we were recording our, our episode about Empire Strikes Back, we kept saying that it was a strange film to like because... It doesn't resolve and the bad guys win. What is it about Empire that appeals to you so much? I think that's part of it. You know, it's just like, and I, I did, I was listening to your guys' Empire podcast, which is, you know, four hours long, by the way. I was just like, holy crap. But I did, I did listen to it in chunks and, and I was going through it and I was listening to all you guys talk about it. And I was, you know, resonating with a lot of what you guys were saying about the film. I'm sure there's a lot of like nostalgia attached to it. Cause you know, the first time I saw it, I was like what eight, 10 years old or whatever it was. And it just, you know, that stuff sticks with you, but empire was always just this really cool movie that had so much going on. Like, you know, you start on Hoth, then you're in the asteroid chase, then you're on Dagobah, then you're on Bespin. And it's just, it's like all these different locations and, you know, all these new characters. I mean, I, I love Star Wars, obviously, but I felt like Empire was a step up. Like it was like the next evolution of what Star Wars could be. And I liked the fact that it ended kind of on a dark tone in a way that, you know, it wasn't resolved that, okay, we get more Star Wars after this, you know, like there's more coming. Like that was kind of exciting. But for Empire, it was just, I mean, there's so much going on in that movie with Luke and the training on Dagobah with Yoda and then, you know, the whole Vader reveal, like all that stuff is just for a kid. That's just mind blowing stuff because I mean, nowadays kids are like, oh yeah, okay. Big reveal. Like, you know, we saw that coming a mile away, but back in the eighties, like that kind of stuff really wasn't prominent in like, especially movies aimed at kids, but like even mainstream, like you didn't have something like the, the, the lead villain who you think is just some robot monster dude is all of a sudden the hero's dad. You're just like, whoa, mind blown as a kid. So I think that was a big part of it. It was like 
so different and so unique at the time, which it really was. And I, I think people kind of forget that because, because they, it's been, you know, all that stuff has been done so much now through new movies and everything. I mean, regurgitated and, and, you know, homages paid to it and all that stuff, which is great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but I just think, you know, kids today, and I sound like an old man. Well, kids don't know what it was like, but, but it's true. It's like when you're a kid growing up in the eighties, like something like that was so new and so different that you were just, you were just totally blown away by it. At least I was, I think it just always stuck with me because it was such a great movie. I mean, there's, there's so many great one-liners in that movie. It's funny. It's exciting. It's dangerous. It's exhilarating. It's just, there's so much going on in that movie. I just feel like they crammed as much awesomeness into it as they could. And it's well done. Like to me, it still holds up as, as a perfect film. Like I'm hard, even like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty jaded, I guess these days as I get older, but I really, if if I objectively look at empire, sure. I could nitpick little things that are wrong with it or whatever, but by and large, I would say that movie really holds up as just a great piece of entertainment. That combined was just, like I said, nostalgia and the fact that it blew my mind as a kid, it just kind of st- stuck in my heart and it's still there. And I think it'll always be there. It's just, it is literally the, my favorite movie of all time. Like I can go back and watch that movie anytime, any day ever. And I'm just like, love it just as much as I did the first time. My my friend, Dan and I actually do, he actually helped me edit the book, but it was, which was kind of cool because we were childhood friends and we actually went and saw Empire last year when they re-released it for the 40th anniversary. And one of the interesting things too, is I wasn't trying to coincide with the 40th anniversary, but when I was writing the book, the 40th anniversary was coming up. Honestly, when I started, I didn't even realize it. I was just wanted to work on the book. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh crap, this is going to coincide with the 40th anniversary of the film. And I thought that was kind of cool. And I was like, okay, well that, that was kind of kismet, you know what I mean? The way that worked out. But anyways, my friend Dan helped, who's my childhood friend, he helped me edit the book. And the two of us got to go see Empire when it was re-released last year in theaters. You know, and this was during COVID. So we were both kind of like, should we? And I was just like, yeah, we should. And and honestly, there was nobody there. It was just, it was perfect because it was just me and him, empty theater. And it was Empire Strikes Back. And I loved it. It was like, it was heaven, you know? And it was like, we were clapping and cheering and booing and hissing, just having a good time and, you know, really getting into it. And, and, you know, even though it's the special edition version that they, they, they play now, it's still, I mean, they did the least amount of tweaks to that at least luckily, but that movie is just such a great film that, you know, it was, it was really exciting to be able to see it on the big screen again for the 40th anniversary. So. Well, the book really helps crystallize what was going on when and where, which I really appreciate. I mean, I appreciate all of the stuff that leads up to the shooting, how many moving pieces there were. And then during the shooting, you know, talking about we've got special effects going on in California, we've got shooting going on in Norway and England, and being able to see those things going on concurrently through the timeline format of your book was really helpful and really helped show just how much work it entails to make this feature film. I mean, that's kind of why I made the timeline because when I was putting it together, it was cool to look at it in a linear fashion like that. Cause a lot of behind the scenes book and stuff, it doesn't really work like that. They just kind of say, well, here's, here's everything they did on Hoth and here's everything they did on Bespin and here's, you know, everything in Dagobah. But it doesn't really take you. I mean, Rinsler's book does come close to it because he kind of does it in order a little bit. 
And I, I did get a lot of dates from his book. But, you know, like I said, I'd, I kind of wanted to trim all the bells and whistles down and just keep it really simple. You know, and, and for anyone who hasn't read the book or looked through it, it's just, it literally is just a date. Like, but it'd be like March 15th, 1979. And then under that, you would just have bullet points. And I would just put everything that happened on that day that is related to Empire Strikes Back. So March 15th, 1979. First of all, we've got a production call sheet, which I included. I tried to find as many of those as I could, because I just thought that was call sheets to me are just a fascinating piece of film history because it's, it's what they were doing on those days very specifically. And you've got all the actors on set, all the stuntmen, you know, who, who was doing what, what were the props needed? So it really gives you a, an awesome insight into what on any given day, you know, a film production was doing. So I, 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 I think I found like, 50 call sheets or something. And I found them through, you know, there was some posted online. There was some through prop store website, like they would post them up for auctions. And I was just find them, find them on there. And then I ended up reproducing them verbatim for whatever was on the call sheet. And I just thought it was a cool thing to include. I think it was my wife actually, who suggested it because I was using them as a reference. And she's like, well, why don't you just put the call sheet in the book? And I was like, Oh, you're genius. And it really, that, that helped a lot. Cause I really felt like that helps people kind of keep them on track throughout production. Cause they get to see that call sheet, like I said, and get all that information like instantly. Sorry, but back to the thing, like I'm saying, so for the book, you would see March 15th, 1979, we have a production call sheet, page 77, which is the next page. We got the scene in which the Millennium Falcon escapes through the teeth of the giant space slug is shot from the interior of the Falcon, blah, blah, blah. Mark Hamill's fitted for wardrobe, rear undercarriage of Millennium Falcon blueprint drawings completed at ILM. The studio shooting schedule is sent out to cast and crew. So it's just like whatever happened on that day that I could find that had to do with Empire, I just, I just listed it under each date. And it just, it's really simple and it's really trimmed down. You're not getting a lot of fat. You're just getting the basic, you know, information. And I just thought that was, for me, it was just fascinating. So when I put it all together to see, like you said, you know, the evolution of the film, because I start back even with like Splinter of the Mind's Eye, because that to me, that was going to be the original sequel to Star Wars. And I thought, well, I kind of want to include that because Splinter in a way, I mean, obviously it was a book, but it transformed from Lucas deciding, okay, Splinter of the Mind's Eye is going to be my cheap because he didn't think Star Wars was going to be successful. So in his mind, he's like, okay, we might make a little bit of money. So we'll make this cheap sequel movie, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Harrison Ford won't be in it. It'll just be Luke and Leia, Vader, blah, blah, blah. And then once it hit the box office, you know, all bets were off. And it was like, okay, screw that. <laughs> we're doing like this big budget thing. And and so I included Splinter of the Mind's Eye just for that reason. But, you know, I go back all the way to 1975, where you had, you know, Ralph McQuarrie did a concept painting of for Star Wars of a floating Imperial prison, which that originally was going to be the death instead of the Death Star. I'm sure most of you already know this, but it was a floating Imperial prison where they were going to go rescue the princess. So they were going to get the Kyber crystal or whatever. I mean, there were so many changes going on. I'm not sure exactly what was going on with the Imperial prison concept, but Quarry had basically made this design. And it, I mean, if you look at it, it's cloud city. And so that was clear back in February of 1975. So that's kind of where I started the book. Cause I was like, okay, this is essentially like the earliest, earliest anything empire related that, that is in existence. And I thought, let's just start there and then move forward. And so like 1975, it's literally like one date, which is just that date of, the concept art and then you move into 76 and then you got a couple more dates actually i think it's just one more date where it's alan dean foster talking with lucas about splinter 
and then 77 rolls around and then, you know, everything kind of goes from there. It was such a fun book to write, but when, once it all got laid out like that, it was fascinating to me because I'd loved this film so much and I'd never seen it even in that format for myself. So to see it all laid out in like linear order just totally changed my perception of the the making of the film. And I don't know, it was, it was a lot of fun to put that all together. Well, it's really neat too. You know, I know we mentioned like Deep Roy was a double for Yoda. I didn't realize that he was a double for R2 as well. Yeah. See, that's the thing that you discover when you're going through like these old call sheets and stuff. And, you know, even like Rinsler's book and Alan Arnold's book, you know, stuff like that. But there's these little tidbits of information that some of us know and some of us don't know. And some of us know one thing and some of us know another thing. And as all these fans, it's like, it's funny when you go online and you're talking about this stuff, you always get these fans. And I do this too. We're all guilty of it, but it's like when one person is talking about a subject, then you have like fans chime in with these little tidbits of information surrounding it. Yeah. Well then there's this little thing over here. And it's just funny because everybody wants to kind of chime in. And it was honestly that kind of energy that, that helped me want to write the book is because I said, there's so many, there's so much information, little tidbits here and there. I kind of want to just bring it all together into one place so we can all just have this reference book for empire. Cause it's such a great movie, but yeah, the, the thing with deep Roy, like I didn't even know that until I saw call sheet and I was like, Oh, that's interesting. So it, there's a lot of little things like that, that I didn't even there. Actually, there was a lot that I didn't know until I went and researched some stuff and I was like, Oh, okay. Just, you know, like Luke stunt doubles, you know, carry stunt doubles and how, you know, the there's different stunt doubles or different stand-ins and stuff like, it's just, I don't know. It's fascinating stuff to me. Most people probably could care less. Honestly, they're just like, I just like the movie. But for those of us who are like nerds about this stuff, you know, like you and I, <laughs> It just, it, we, we feed off that stuff. You know, I feel like it's just like, oh, like every little new little tidbit of information, you're just, you love it, you know? Well, and it's so great to set the record straight because, you know, there were people that worked on the film that are not in the credits. And so here you have their names in black and white. And it's like, yes, they were involved in this unless they didn't show up on the day, but they were on the call sheet for it. You know, I talked to Mike Edmonds recently about his role in time bandits. And it's like, you know, I heard that you were in empire strikes back and indeed he was, but it's one of those, like seeing it on the call sheet again, it's like, great. Okay, good. Let's have all of the, and I love how they're not Ugnots on the call sheet. They're hogmen. <laughs> it's like before they started the merchandising and, and naming the figures and those kind of things. And that's the other thing I love too, is just there was an army of people involved when it came to marketing. I mean, we know how poorly marketed and, and merchandised the first film was, you know, the whole you know, scandal around not having action figures in time, but to see how they start to roll out Empire and to, you know, especially like once you get into 1980, how it's just like Burger King's going to run this promo. We've got this, we've got that. And just my God, just the amount people and companies that were involved in marketing this thing is just fantastic. It was very different. Cause I mean, again, I, I think, Lucas George Lucas was just like, okay, Star Wars isn't going to be that big. You know, we'll probably sell some shirts at conventions or something, whatever. So, I mean, I don't think he was fully 
I mean, obviously he wasn't fully aware of the impact Star Wars would have. And nobody was. I mean, everybody was just kind of like, okay, if this, you know, if we have a small sci-fi fan base, great. You know, we can make some money off these guys or whatever. They'll buy anything is what Lucas had said at one point, or they'll go see anything that's sci-fi, you know. So it wasn't really, I don't, they obviously weren't prepared for what happened because everybody then wanted anything and everything Star Wars. And that wasn't the first time marketing for a movie merchandise was so big. I mean, Jaws came out before Star Wars. And when Jaws came out, I did some, I was doing research on that too. And Jaws was massive. Like Jaws merchandise was everywhere. I mean, there was t-shirts, there was puzzles, there was games, there was just anything that had a shark, they would just slap it on any, anything and just put it as Jaws. Well, there's the kid in the movie that has a Jaws t-shirt on. <laughs> Which oh, really? Crazy. I didn't notice that. Yeah. I think he's on the ferry coming over for 4th of July. That's awesome. <laughs> That's just cool. I could be wrong, but I felt like Jaws was really the, the first blockbuster, even before Star Wars, that really people just, you know, went crazy over. And then when Star Wars came out, it just took it to a whole nother level. And, and I'm sure Spielberg was like... Holy crap. Like, I didn't even, I mean, Spielberg knew it was going to be a hit. He, I remember him tell, well, remember, I remember reading him telling Lucas that like he was the only one who said this is going to be a hit. Everybody else, you know, in Lucas's circle was like, oh, this thing is, this is corny, dude. This isn't going to do anything, like whatever. And they didn't even care. And I think that's what kind of pushed George into this mindset of like, you know, ah, this will probably, you know, make a little bit of money, but I just, I'll, I'll go on and do something else, you know, and then try to make the sequels down the road. But then Spielberg was all like, you know, this is going to be a hit. I can just tell. And he was right, you know, obviously. So what I was talking about back with the marketing with the book is one of the things I wanted to include was things beyond just the movie itself. I mean, obviously we talk about production and all that. But included in the book, I had basically anything related to Empire, whether it was merchandising or the soundtrack release or when the soundtrack was recorded, you know, like Burger, like you said, Burger King, when they put out their promotions, when Kenner was putting out their action figures, it was basically anything and everything tied to the Empire Strikes Back. I wanted dates. I wanted to know when it happened. And, you know, there's times where I didn't, I couldn't get an exact date. So I would just put a month and a year. Sometimes I would just put the year. I would have to say like, you know, early 85 or whatever, because some of this stuff is, you just don't know either. I couldn't find it or I didn't talk to the right people or it's just lost to the passages of time and nobody knows or remembers. And a lot of that stuff too, I think with companies that was, you know, that they didn't really have concrete dates for stuff. It was kind of loose when they would, you know, market stuff like third quarter or fourth quarter or whatever like that. So I tried to find as specific dates as possible, but sometimes you're just, you're just stuck with like, well, March of 78, this happened or, you know, spring of 89, this happened by and large. I tried to keep the dates as specific as possible, but I did want to include just everything. I mean, it's not just, you know, the release, the original release. I mean, I go into the special edition and I go into like the release of action figures, you know, all the way up through 2020, basically everything that was, that has been going on with empire 75 through 2020, I literally wanted to include as much as possible. And there's a lot. And that's why the book is over 300 pages. Cause as I kept adding dates and all these little things, I was just, it kept growing and growing and I was like, Holy crap. But it was just awesome to have all that in one place. But I mean, we're talking like, you know, Hasbro, like as I was writing the book, Hasbro would be like, oh, we're releasing new figures for the 
you know, 40th anniversary, I'd be like, oh, I got to add this in my book. So I'd have to reformat the, the end of the book and like add more dates, which was, which was great. Cause I, the more, the better in my opinion, but, but it was, a, it was a little frustrating because I was like almost done with it. And then all this new 40th anniversary stuff came out and I was like, I didn't really anticipate that, even though I should have, that's like, duh, but, <laughs> and there's obviously stuff missing from 2020 that, you know, cause you got to publish the book at some point. So you can't really just have everything, but I did end up doing a collector's edition of the book. And what that was is the first book is just black and white. It's just, you know, there's no color in it. It's just a really simple black and white book, you know, and I looked into printing with, you know, different, like a hard cover and all that. And that stuff was so expensive. And I was just like, you know, this is too much. Like, I just want to keep it simple. You know, this is just a labor of love. I don't want to get all involved in hardcovers and, you know, full color photographs and all that stuff. Like, let's just keep it simple. But I did the black and white. And when I was making the book, you know, everything was in color because that I was just pulling images and, and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, man, it looks so good in color. Like, I really wish I had done it in color. So I decided I kind of took it from when empire came out, they released the empire strikes back collectors edition book where it was what they would give out at theaters where it was just the souvenir magazine. And at the top, it was just collectors edition and had that red bar across the top. And I wanted to kind of implement that into my book. So what I did is the collector's edition just has a red bar at the top says collector's edition, different cover, slightly different. Although the images are different on film strip across the front And then I think I added, because by the time I was going to put out the collector's edition towards the end of 2020, there had been, you know, some other stuff that had come out. And actually there were some errors that I had found in the first edition. So I I wanted to change those. With Amazon, you can go in and update your print file. And so what'll happen is you'll just update it and then they'll just, you know, start printing that book. So there was actually some mistakes I had found through the book. So I would just update it randomly so some of you who got the very first versions that version does not exist anymore so i guess you'd call that a collector's edition but i did change make some changes so the version that you would order from amazon as of today is not the same version you would ordered from amazon like a year ago and i mean it's nothing big it's just like a couple dates here and there or you know little minor things like i think there were some spelling errors where i looked through it and i was like don't you know and then i you know i wanted to fix that because i'm a perfectionist so but the collector's edition fixed a lot of that little those little things added some new dates and i made it in full color and i knew it was going to be more expensive and it was cuz amazon charges you almost twice as much for for color books than it does black and white so I had to up the price and <clears throat> I didn't get nearly the the response I got on the first book for obvious reasons. And I didn't expect to, you know, I just, to me, it was just kind of a fun thing. I just thought, okay, well, I'm just going to do this short run color version more for me, honestly, because I just wanted it in color. And so I just did it. It was only available for a short time. I said, this is going to be available. I think it was like three months, six months. I don't even remember. I have to go back and look, but I just did a really short run of it. It was going to be just, it's available from here to here. And then it's done. It's never going to see it again. And that was it. And so if you, if anybody has one of those, it's like that it's a collector's edition in the truest sense. So, and it's not like I'm expecting it to like be valuable or anything, but I know how the collector mindset works. Cause I am a collector and it's like, you, you want every variant, every variation. And so I kind of just did it for fun, you know, in that regard. 
but yeah, so I would say the the version that you can buy now is the most updated current version. And there might be one or two little mistakes, unfortunately, just because something this massive, it's hard to to really get in there and just find every single little little detail. But um, and I don't have a professional editor either. Like it was it was me and my friend who is, you know, he's he's smarter than I am. He's a great like he reads books like crazy. Like the guy is just an encyclopedia. But he really helped me a lot with with grammar and punctuation and stuff like that and just really helped me proof the book. And I learned a ton from him and, you know, obviously went online and and learned how to how to do certain things and and use the proper use of certain punctuation and and all that and that was a huge learning experience and so that really helped me and then after i did my book i got involved with kim simmons who was the original photographer for kenner when he was putting his books out his photography books he had con- i can't remember how it happened i think he had contacted me cuz i he knows he'd seen that i had done kickstarters before and he wanted to do a kickstarter so he had asked me and I ended up helping him with the Kickstarter. And then when it came time to proof his book, he asked me just if I wanted to take a look at it. And I just said, oh, sure. And I started going through it and I saw all these mistakes that I now knew that they were mistakes, like in terms of you know punctuation and grammar. And so I just said, do you mind if I kind of just go through this like from a proofing standpoint? And he's like, oh, sure, whatever you want. And I just redlined the whole thing. I just went through and like, you know, crossed out stuff and said, this is, should be this and this should be that. And it was, it was really cool because I got to, to use those skills for like another project and then basically, you know, proved his second book and his first book and then ended up doing the third one too. So I don't know, I'm, I'm leaning towards being a proof proofreader now with those skills, but you know, I still have a lot to learn obviously, but it's been, it's been a fun experience because if I had never done the book, I don't think I ever would have been able to do any of that. It's been a lot of fun. Just everything that's come out of that book, I guess you would say. It's so neat to just be able to flip through it and see stuff like randomly I go through and it's like, oh, Toy and Hobby World run a Kenner ad for the Empire Strikes Back toys, including Han and Hoth outfit, as well as Lando Calrissian. None of these figures were ever released. It's like, okay. Or (laughs) even flipping the page. It's like, I've always been under the impression that it was Marjorie Eaton who was doing the Emperor. And then only to find out, nope, she was replaced by Elaine Baker at the end, uh, Rick Baker's wife. No, that she did do it. That oh, okay. Actually, that, 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 that information is actually wrong. I must have an early draft. <laughs> you probably do. See, what happened was in, in Rinsler's book, he actually was the one who made that claim that Marjorie Eaton did not do it. And it was Baker. And that's where I got that information. And it actually came out after his book came out. A lot of people were like, no, that's not true. And what ended up happening is Baker, it was Rick Baker's wife, basically, she just put on the prosthetic as a as a camera test. And then Marjorie Eaton actually did come in and do the actual filming. <laughs> when I found that out, I was like, oh, no. But I believe, I'm pretty sure in the latest version of the book that I did change that. In fact, I, I know I did. I remember doing that. So, But it's just, see, it's things like that. It's like you try to find 
facts and you try to find like what's true and what's not. And, you know, cause there's so many rumors and then you, you look at something like, you know, Rensler's book that is like the defining behind the scenes book. So you think everything in there is just, you know, this has all got to be legit. I mean, he's talking to George Lucas, he's talking to Lucasfilm and you find out even his book has got errors in it. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a learning experience. And that's what is kind of exciting to me about all of this is just, it's a it's a piece of history and it's just you know the older we get and and the further back it goes all this stuff's going to be lost like these people are going to start dying who are involved with this and and i wanted to just capture like i said as much information as possible just to kind of preserve it in like one volume where it was just like okay this is kind of definitive timeline of events and you know like i said that was probably the biggest error i think that was in the book which i did change but i think i I got a birthday wrong in the back (laughs) i think i can't remember who it was but one of the birthdays i know and i felt really bad about it i was like because if they were looking at that and they were like hey that's not my birthday i would be like ah now the whole book's in question now everybody's gonna think i'm a fraud no it's one of those things it's like you really want to be as accurate as possible and i really tried to be i really tried my hardest to make sure that every date on here you know, I found somewhere and I did, but again, you know, even, even those, those sources can be wrong, you know? And, and so it's like, you kind of just got to go with, with your gut and kind of go with what is out there. Luckily, like I said, the Eaton thing, the, Mar- the, the Baker thing, that was really to me, the biggest faux pas, I guess you would say of, of the book of Rensler's book, even everything else I think is pretty legit uh, in terms of, you know, finding actual dates and, and information out there. And it was a lot of scouring. Like I said, you know, going through old Starlog magazines from like the eighties and, you know, it's just interesting what was in those interviews with people and the things that they would talk about. And it's just, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of forget about it because, you know, I, you don't read that stuff every day. It just kind of sits, sits in your collection or closet or whatever. And when you go back and flip through those, there's so much information and it's it's current, you know, it's like that's what was going on at the time. Like I think there was one where they were interviewing Irvin Kirshner and he was literally doing voiceovers, the ADR for Empire, but they were interviewing at that time. So that stuff's interesting because, you know, it's like it's not a memory from 30 years ago. It's like you're literally getting it from the horse's mouth as it's happening, which is which was probably one of the best things was to get stuff at that time period in the 80s. Where, you know, a lot of the toy stuff and the merchandising stuff, there was catalogs that certain people had that, you know, I would ask them, I was like, hey, you, because they would like post it, you know, because fans like to post all their stuff. So anytime I saw somebody post anything Empire related, and there was any kind of date or anything that might be connected, I'd be like, hey, can you send me some photos of that? (laughs) Because I'm writing this book, and I would really like to know. So like some of these things, it would be like, the marketing brochures, you know, that they would send to retailers and it would say, okay, this is when this is coming out. Like slave one is being released on this date or this, you know, during this quarter. So it was like, even stuff like that, I would get really excited to get that information. Cause that's that information is not something that, you know, that most people know or would be readily available to the public. So I really wanted to find those obscure dates of just random stuff that is just like, Oh, well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, 
for people like us, it's probably like, oh, that's fascinating. I'm sure most people would be like, who, who cares? You know, <laughs> like, why does that matter? But I don't know. It's just to me, it's just it's history. And and, I, and obviously, as the older you get, the more nostalgic you get and stuff. And you want to hold on to that history. But I don't know. I just thought it was important to conserve all this stuff in a in one volume and one place as a reference book. So, you know, fans 20, 30 years down the road could like pick up this book and just be like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Or I don't know, stuff like that. It just I just felt like it needed to happen. It needed to be done. <laughs> so what are you working on now? I am throwing around ideas for another book, actually. I'm thinking about this book that I want to write. <clears throat> I don't want to get too into it because I'm not sure exactly the concept. I mean, I, I do know the concept, but it's a little vague in my mind. But I want to write, write a book about fandom. And basically what I want to talk about is how uh, you know different fandoms have done different things for their favorite you know franchises or whatever. Like Some of the things I want to talk about is how fans have saved TV shows by doing crazy things to, to save certain shows, like send in spoons or send in, you know, like dip vegetables or whatever. Yeah. Was it like potatoes for Jericho or something? I can't remember. What I, yeah, that was. I, I think it was, it was something like I've been doing the research and there's, there's a lot and it's been going on for a long time. Even the original Star Trek, there was a fan writing campaign to keep it on the air for a third season so it could get into syndication. And, and if it hadn't been for that fan writing campaign, it wouldn't have happened. So this kind of stuff has been going on for a long time and the internet has just made it more prolific and more you know prevalent, but it's kind of interesting. I kind of wanted to go back and look at the history of fandom and how fans have not manipulated, but kind of like, I guess, had a hand i guess in their favorite franchises good or bad you know what i mean like i want to explore you know how they've saved tv shows i want to explore the fandom menace with star wars how some fans are very toxic and you know i just all avenues of it i just it's a really kind of amorphous blob in my brain right now of what how i want the book to be but that's really my next project and right now i'm just kind of doing research on that and I didn't realize how many shows there actually were saved by fans. It's really fascinating. I thought it was like, you know, like I could count on one hand or something. But when you start looking into it, it's like, wow, there's like 20 or 30 shows just off the top of my head now that I know that were saved by fans. It's crazy. So that kind of stuff is very interesting to me. And, and I hope it's interesting to other people. But that's that's the next book project that I'm kind of working on. And then I'm currently proofing another Star Wars book for a friend of mine who is putting out his own, I don't want to give too much away because he hasn't said anything about it, but I guess it's kind it's not really a, it's kind of a timeline book. It's, it's a little similar to mine, I guess, but it's, he's, he's going, he's spanning all star Wars from like any era, any time, whatever. And I think that's why he hit me up because he, he thought like, wow, you've already kind of done something like this. So, but he hit me up and he asked me if I wanted to kind of proof his book and, and I said, sure. And so we've been working on that for a couple months now. And that's been fun and, and interesting. And I look at it as as like when I'm proofing these books, like the Kenner, Kim Simmons book and, and this guy's book, it's like it's Star Wars. So it's like I'm passionate about it and I know this, the content. And I'm wondering if I was to do a book that wasn't, if I would want to do it, if I would be like, this is kind of boring. I don't really want to do this. So if I can just proof Star Wars books, I think I'll be good. <laughs> can you make a living doing that? I doubt it, but you know, you know, a little residual income never hurts and it's fun. You know, it's, it's fun to be hands-on with stuff like that. 
So is there a good place for people to keep up with you and your stuff online? If people are interested in the book, they can go to TESB, which is obviously The Empire Strikes Back. So TESBtimeline.com. All you'll find there is a one-page website where it basically just has the book, some pages from the book, little description as to what's in the book, and then a link to Amazon where you can buy the book and a little bit about me or whatever. But that's pretty much all that's there. I'm on Facebook, Justin Berger. You can just Google me and I'll pop up. I may not add you as a friend if I don't know you, but I do have an Empire Strikes Back timeline Facebook page, uh, which you could just Google that and I'm sure you'll find it. I'm on Twitter at TESB timeline and then Instagram at HKL films. So there we, that's pretty much how to find me. I'm not hard to find. There's not too many Justin Burgers. Everybody, every time I'm online and I type my name, they're like, I thought you said your name was Justin Bieber for a second. I was like, please, no. (laughs) Well, hey, thank you so much, Justin, for your time. I really appreciate this. It was so great talking to you, and I cannot recommend your book enough. It is just so filled with information and such a valuable resource. You know, you talked about how you're doing this for posterity and I I love that you're doing it. And I I feel that more people really need to realize like, Hey, yeah, everybody involved with this eventually is going to pass away. And here we have this document of what really went down. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And, you know, there's obviously lots of books out there about, this topic and you know if it wasn't for like alan arnold's book making of empire strikes back or the journal of the making rinsler's book like all those guys obviously are like the rock stars of this stuff but if it wasn't for them i couldn't have made my book but i'm just i'm glad i could offer a small little little piece of of empire history it it just i'm really happy about that and i just i hope more than anything, I just hope people enjoy the book. That's really what I want is just somebody to look through it and enjoy it and be like, wow, this is cool. That, that's it. Well, thank you, sir. This was great. Thanks, Mike. We'd love to come back. <laughs>